Thank you so much for tuning in to Let's Talk, the official podcast of the National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS. At NRS, we operate the federally designated national communication system for youth who have run away, are experiencing homelessness, or who may be considering leaving home. For over 50 years, we've provided crisis support and resources for young people, families, and communities across the nation. It's the second week of National Runaway Prevention Month, and I'm excited for you to all meet the Adolescent Services Division Director of the Christopher Youth Center in Monroe, Louisiana. Without further ado, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Janaris Bridges. I am from Monroe, Louisiana. I obtained my bachelor's degree in psychology and my master's degree in social work from the Gremlin State University. I am also a part of one of the greatest sororities of all time, which is Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. Before getting into this type of occupation of working with homelessness, I had a background of 10 plus years of being a mental health professional for a local mental health rehabilitation center. I am currently the Adolescent Services Division Director at Christopher Youth Center, formerly known as Our House, located here in Monroe, Louisiana. I started in the position of being the case manager slash counselor for the organization, and shortly after, I got promoted to the position I currently reside in. And I have been the director of the Basic Center program since February of 2020. Working with the homeless population has truly been inspiring and uplifting for me. And the pronouns that I prefer is she and her. You mentioned that you have been the director since 2020. What was it like? What were some of the challenges you faced throughout COVID-19 with a lot of like other similar organizations closing their doors or struggling to offer the same services that they normally would? Well, I can tell you this. Um, it was definitely a challenge for me because, uh, one, i never been in a director role. I've been in leadership roles in other jobs, but I've never been in a director role to fully run a program. So by me being into that director role, I had to learn the ins and outs of the program. And while I was learning it, I had to apply it. However, by COVID happening at the same time, I didn't get the full experience because the world had just shut down. So um, as far as one of the challenges, um, I can proudly say that with COVID, when we had the outbreak in the U.S., um, our facility never shut down. We literally only had one outbreak. Um, throughout the entire time. And that was when it first came out. We're very, very strict on rules when it comes to COVID. We do a COVID screening upon uh, intake. Um, if anyone have any type of symptom, um, we rush them to the um, urgent care or whenever they get a physical because they have to have a physical within seven days. So around that time period, we'll get them to get tested just to make sure that we're safe and they're safe. Uh, we sanitize our facility every two hours from that day all the way up to current day. Um, we we um, we write down everything with bleach, sanitation wipes. Uh, we use Lysol spray, microband, anything that's disinfected. We have done that. And we also wear a mask. 
um, to keep ourselves safe as well as the residents. And we have been able to stay clean since then. So, and the only reason why we found out that we had a, a COVID outbreak at that point in time was luckily um, no one had really severe symptoms. We just had a kid that was there that couldn't taste anything. And one day she came to my office and she was like, hey, Miss um, Bridges, I, can't, I couldn't taste my food last night. And we was like, you can taste your food last night. And at the time, she was doing schooling virtually. And so I was like, what do you mean you can taste your, your dinner? She was like, I couldn't taste it. And I was like, are you congested? She was like, no. I said, are you coughing? She said, no. I said, are you sneezing? She said, no. I said, uh-uh, we got to take you to the doctor. <laughs> and when we took her to the doctor, she was positive. And we was like, oh, my God, which made everybody get tested. So we had... We had maybe 85 to 90% of our staff in the shelter to test positive for COVID, which means we only literally had maybe one or two uh, direct care workers that did not test positive for it. And with how we kept things going, um, we basically had to pull staff from administration. And we all pitched in and did like 12-hour shifts until basically they tested negative because I made sure. I was like, y'all can't come out their room until you test negative. And it was convenient because the shelter that we have is literally like a house and the bedrooms have their own bathrooms. So the, so we was able to quarantine them safely in the room. They didn't have to come out for no reason. They used the bathroom in their in their bedroom. And when we had to give um, medication and food and things of that nature, we wore PPE uh, gear. We had gloves on. We had sanitation. I made like these little gift bags for them with their own pen and stuff. But the good thing about it is um, while they were residing in the room, they never complained. They had concerts and karaoke every day <laughs> and dance competitions every day. And we communicated through the door. So we made the best out of a worse situation. But everybody ended up being okay. No one had severe symptoms. And when their test came back negative, they were able to come back out the room. And then we was able to continue with our services. Wow, that is wild. I was actually going to ask, like, with the rise of, with COVID numbers being on the rise again, with new strains that are making people even sicker than before. Right. Like, how are you guys managing? But it sounds like, like, based on what you said, you guys actually have maintained uh, the standard of sanitation. Yes, we have. We should all be having at all times anyway. Yes, we, we really have. We we know how serious that is. And, I, and me personally, my grandmother died of it. She was 94 years old. She was really in pretty good health when she got it and it took her out in two weeks. So, when, so I did upon myself to educate myself, do research and everything to prevent this from happening to other families. Because at that time, you know, it was attacking people of all ages. And just because it happened to my 94 year old grandmother doesn't mean it wouldn't happen to a 14 year old teenager. So I wanted to make sure that we were safe across the board. And that's what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry to hear about your grandmother. Like oh, well, thank you. It's okay. Like lost people throughout COVID. My grandma, yeah. actually, um, she like would not see people. She was like, I am seeing my church group people every day. Yeah. Agreed to not see anyone else. So I, I didn't <laughs> see my grandma for a whole year almost through yeah. COVID. And then eventually she was like, all right, well, everyone, if you get vaccinated and bring your vaccination card. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So we uh, have slowly been working our way back to like family dinners and stuff like that. That's like, awesome. Family is very important. Now, COVID aside, what are some of the things you guys are planning for this upcoming year? Oh, we have a lot uh, planned uh, for this upcoming year, um, or at least we try to. So as for um, as the Adolescent Services Division Director, I would like to continue executing Dr. Christopher's dream for creating CYC by providing amenities in our community that particularly service the adolescent and young adult population. Um, together as a company, we will continue to strive toward better success within our community and with residents who enter our program by accomplishing the ultimate goal of reunification within their family and being self-sufficient. So in the upcoming year, our particular goal is to bring more awareness to our community about the services that we offer to the community. And we would like the community to understand that we are here to provide immediate assistance to them and their families. So coming together, is the beginning remaining together is progress and working consistently together is a success now you you dropped a little nugget there for me that i want to uh remember to go ahead and grab while i'm thinking about it okay you mentioned dr christopher which makes me yes. think that must be the namesake of the organization would you mind giving us just a little bit of background on dr christopher and then yeah. Anything you want people to know immediately about the organization, like the different programs and services you offer? I know you said them before, but if you wouldn't mind just kind of going through those again for me. Sure. Okay, so I guess I can start with Dr. Christopher. So Dr. Christopher is our founder. Her name was Carol Christopher. And what happened was um, she recognized a need in 1987 when a 12-year-old girl from a rural area contacted the crisis line for assistance, and there were no resources that she could refer the little girl to that could help her in the midst of her troubles. So our organization has been the answer to that question since 1989 by assisting the community with ending homelessness for the adolescent and young adult community. So that's pretty much where it started. But just to give you a background about our organization, so we were originally called Our House. We, we was actually named by the kids in the facility. And so in 2015, when Dr. Christopher passed away, they changed the name in honor of her. And that's how we end up being Christopher Youth Center. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so our basic center is a youth center that provides emergency housing, food, clothing, counseling, tutoring, transportation to school, and other appropriate referrals for males and females of ages 11 to 17 years old. And our immediate goal is to address the crisis and work to stabilize the youth and their families toward reunification. But one of our major accomplishments is creating and orchestrating the Youth Voices of Change. So the Youth Voices of Change is a mentor well, a peer mentor group. So Youth Voices of Change is a program developed by our organization through a grant supported by Blue Cross Blue Shield and Louisiana Children's Trust Fund. So the mission is to increase the health and well-being of youth in our community. And the aim is to achieve the goal of improving youth awareness of resources in the community through face-to-face -face peer support in social media. So we have about five or six middle to high schools that are in collaboration with us. And they are about five students per school who are handpicked by the school counselor. After being selected and getting parental 
permission for them to participate in this organization. They are trained by a LPC and the training consists of how to identify a peer in crisis, how to communicate effectively and assist peers who are in a crisis. They are educated on resources to provide to their peers who may be in a crisis and when to report to school counselors and CYC staff when a peer is in crisis. Is there a way for that training or whatever to be made virtual? Like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we always thought, you know, peers listen to peers more than they'll listen to an adult and they will talk to someone their age versus talking to an adult. But by them being in the school system, they will be able to recognize, you know, just say, for example, if you want to see a, a classmate that's always bubbly, friendly talking to everyone, making everyone feel comfortable. But then all of a sudden they have this behavior change. They were drawn. They're not really bubbly and smiling. You know, it could be something going on in the home. So we teach them to recognize different signs like that, how to approach them, let them know what we do in the community and things like that. And it has been successful so far. That sounds amazing. I like, I'm so interested in that. I'm like over here taking notes. Um, Um, now you and I met at, if memory serves correct, cause it's been longer than a week and yes. What is it? <laughs> yes. But, uh, we went to the national safe place network conference in Louisville together. We met. Yes, we did. A so oddly enough, I'm right now recording a session all for national runway prevention month. Mm-hmm. And, um, all of the people that I'm interviewing were in that class because we talked about something that I had never um, the whole like idea of this podcast is that like I'm coming into this without any knowledge or experience. I'm not like clinically licensed. I'm not licensed in any way. Yeah. I'm truly an outsider who is kind of taking my own perspective into this, realizing that my perspective is absolutely unnecessary, obsolete, and unwanted. Right. <laughs> and then learning about <laughs> all of the different things that actually go into being able to successfully yes, uh, support a young person who's experiencing a crisis. Mm-hmm. So. This year has been like a huge year of change and understanding for us. Like I've heard like the first time hearing from young people that like, oh, I'm going on TikTok and learning about different types of abuse and realizing that I too am being abused or we uh, did a program, uh, we did a um, a ad campaign with a bunch of youth uh, based in Georgia. And one of the young people experienced homelessness after being discharged from the military at a very young, like before she was 21 years old. Oh, wow. Um, like just learning, constantly learning like new things. And one of the things that that we talked about during this session was about the role of parents. Right. And when a young person is, is seeking like different type of mental health services. So you talk about a reunification. Yes. And also like the educational component, which also comes from this uh, uh, program that you're doing of the youth voices of change. So I just want to ask, I know I said a lot just then, uh, (laughs) but can you share experiences with parents or what, what do you think that for like, for an adult who has a kid who they consider to be like a problem child or someone who has bad behavior. And then they like ask them to come to a place where they can get mentoring or guidance, or they kick them out of their home what are those parents, like, what should they be doing themselves? Like, what are the things that they're not thinking of that they should be working on themselves that, like, kind of goes along with the young person also, like, growing and learning and understanding more about the situation? And, you know, I'm having a really hard time 
verbalizing this because I yeah it's so hard like ultimately it's like parents role yeah. in this situation and why are so many parents so hesitant to take any responsibility for the things that are going on in these type of situations oh let me see how can I start with answering their question well let me just say this um Every kid that comes into our shelter is troubled in some kind of way, form, or fashion. I don't care if it could be some type of abuse, neglect, or it can just be a simple conflict of not having healthy communication skills uh, being implemented within the home. So for one, our facility is at will. They have to want to be there. So even if a parent may call and be like, hey, I have a child that's completely disrespectful. I don't know what to do with her. She don't listen to me. She needs to just come there. I will let her know that she's more than welcome to come here, but we have a screening process that we ask questions about their background. Why are they seeking services with us and things of that nature? But one of the main things we do is we don't never discard what the parent's input is, but we're here to cater for that child. So whenever they call, um, we will always talk to the child. We will always get the child's point of view of things. So just say if a, if the same crisis call happened, we talked to the child and the child like, yes, there's too much stuff going on within a home. I would like to come to the shelter. The caregiver or the parent or guardian can come and admit that child into services. Now, during the intake process, because sometimes the parents get things confused and they don't know what our facility actually does. Some people think of it as a punishment, like, oh, you're going to go somewhere that's hard and um, they're they going to teach you how this, this, and that, and they're going to dictate your every move and you're going to realize what you have at home. That's not what we do. Some parents have that, that mindset that, oh, I want to go tour the country with my boyfriend. I need my child to go somewhere safe. I'm going to go say that we have an issue so the parent can drop the kid off and they think that we'll babysit in the club. No, nope, we don't do that either. <laughs> so we make it very clear the services that we offer. So during the intake process, there is a part of the intake packet that informs the adolescent as well as the guardian or parent of the services that we offer to the youth who decides to reside in their shelter. And one of the services that we often reiterate and enforce is individual and family counseling. So I I train my staff to passionately encourage the parents and you to participate in counseling because counseling is provided to assist with breaking those barriers, especially communication barriers between the family to help the child get reunified and return to a safe and secure environment. Sometimes the parent is reluctant. It shows no interest in participating in counseling. Sometimes the parent will only want the child to participate in counseling as if the child is the only contributing factor to the problem that exists. And we will have to explain to the parent that in order for this program to be fully and positively effective, all parties need to participate to avoid recidivism into the program or maybe even something worse. So we kind of focus on that like you, it's not one-sided at all. Even if the child comes here and say that they have been molested or they have been physically abused, even if that child is fabricating a story or not, something is going on with that child. So 
in order for us to get to the bottom of it and resolve all issues and underlying issues that exist and that may be seen or not seen, you will have to participate in counseling for us to get you to that breaking point. So after we explain that to them during the intake process, depending on the situation of why the child is in services or getting into services, we will pretty much just go from there. What percentage of parents are willing to take like counseling with their kids or, you know, I, 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 uh, I say that knowing that it's probably not, there are not a lot of situations where they need to be in counseling together, like physically together, but I'm thinking mm-hmm. about, like along at the same time. So like, like you're going to take therapy or counseling and I'm also going to take therapy or counseling to address some of my own issues. Right. So willingly, I would say 50%. 50% is willing and about 50% is not willing. But what the case manager focuses on in our organization is that we don't just jump into a family session. We do individual first. Mm -hmm. Like we'll do individual with the child and then we will do individual with the adult. And then once we do that, we will kind of merge it, see what the the issues are. And then we will, our goal will be to go into a family session with those issues addressed. Um, Once we find a common ground though, because it can go either way, just depending on the situation within the two parties. However, when the parent is willing to participate in services, 100% of the youth will benefit from it Mm -hmm. and they will have a better percentage of not only participating and seeing that, okay, I'm putting my all in, my parent is also putting their all in, which means that they care, they love me, they want to resolve this issue. And by the time they leave the program within 21 days, when they go home, things will be a whole lot better. They'll be able to communicate better with each other. They will listen to each other, not talk at each other and go from there. Right. That's really amazing. You mentioned that like a lot of the time it takes finding common ground with yes. parents or guardians. What does that usually look like? Or is there, I know that there's not like one answer for everyone, but is are there some examples you can share? Well, I put it like this. I'm going to do old school parents versus new school parents. <laughs> so old school parents, you know, is do what I say. I don't care how you feel. I'm stuck on tradition. I grew up. I had to listen to my parents and I had to do everything that they say, no matter how I felt about it. I couldn't talk back. I could put my input in. You just going to do what I say. So for parents like that, we respect their values, their cultural values, but at the same time, <laughs> we explain to them, like, it's okay to explain yourself sometimes. It's okay to listen to your child sometimes. If they're not being disrespectful and they just simply asking a question, it's so much easier to just answer the question than to be in a battle saying, do what I say and you can't ask me nothing or, you know, you can't tell me anything about how you feel. Well, you can just simply ask your question. So, for example, um, sometimes uh, in the past, when I first got him to my position, we had an old school worker <laughs> and she believed in it. 
And some of these kids, you know, they come from unstructured homes. They didn't they didn't wake up and do chores on Saturday. You know, they didn't eat at the dinner table and have discussion about their days. They didn't have things like that. And in our facility, we have structure. When we have dinner, we sit down, we talk, we eat at the table, we we discuss how your day was, how things could be better. Do you have homework? They don't they're not used to that. So on Saturday mornings we have something called Super Clean Saturday. And some of the kids be like, We got to get up on a Saturday morning and go clean up and 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 we be like yeah you do <laughs> we do because you want to stay in a clean house not only just for you but maybe somebody else want to come here and they want to reside here we want the the environment to be welcoming and clean and smell good and so for example she had one kid and she was like well I need you to clean these light fixtures and he was like why why do I need to clean these light fixtures And she took offense to it and she felt that it was disrespectful because he asked her why. And she was just like, well, he just didn't want to do it. And I don't understand why he's questioning me. And I was just like, instead Mm -hmm. of doing all that, you could just explain. I asked you to clean it because it's dirty. (laughs) You know, and and just to prevent dust of building up and having a, a harder time cleaning it later, just go ahead and clean it. He probably never had to clean the light fixture before. Mm-hmm. His parents probably never even asked him to sweep a floor before. So instead of put, being in a power struggle, just provide an answer. And once you provide an answer, most of the kids, they just be like, oh, okay, I just wanted to know. Mm-hmm. But being old school parents and they stuck in their tradition, they don't want to change because it's just like, you know, I'm the parent, you do what I say. That's old school parents. New school parents, they want to be the kids' friends. <laughs> And they have no structure. (laughs) So then in situations like that, we have to teach them. Like, I understand you trying to be friendly with your child because you don't want to have any type of conflicts. You don't want them to be upset with you. But at the same time, you still the kid's parent and they still looking for you for guidance. And believe it or not, some kids that come to us, they never might have structure before. They might even have questions about how we do certain things, but they actually thrive in a structured environment. Mm-hmm. So they really want that. So when we when we have our family sessions with them and we will share like, oh, they have done this on Saturdays and they go do this and we don't fight with them for homework. And they be like, y'all, y'all don't have to fight them for homework. I have to fight them every day for homework. And we be like, well, what are you doing? Like, do you have a routine for them? You know, when they come in from school, do you give them a snack? Do you give them free time? Do you be like, okay, you can have your free time and your snack, but in 30 minutes, go do your homework. Or do you just let them just have free game and do whatever they want whenever they want to? That's what makes the difference. We have structure. We have a time frame. And when we teach them that and they implement it at home, they see a difference in the kids. They even see a difference, honestly, before the kid even return home. They see it when they come visit them at the facility, when they're answering us saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, uh, I, I can pass on that. And they're smiling more and they don't have attitudes. And they be like, well, I actually do something like that at home and, and you have a whole attitude with me. And then we'll be like, well, that's because you might say it differently. Mm-hmm. Let's, let us teach you what we've been doing here versus what you've been doing at home. And we can meet that common ground. So that way you can implement it and things will go a lot smoother home so that's how we normally would handle things there's something about that old school parenting style uh, yes um because that's how i was raised of course but like the me too 
there's not a lot of space for people who it's kind of like school, you know, school is, unless you had the best teacher ever, school is really just kind of taught one way for one way of thinking. So like for people like me who have ADHD, sometimes that is just like not the way I learn. It's not the way I take in information. I am very literal. If I ask you a question, like, why do I need to clean that off? I want to hear like, uh, because it's dirty and if you don't clean it off, it's just going to be spraying dust everywhere and you got to do your part. You know, so and like exactly, we did a podcast series with our youth advisory board and leading up to National Runaway Prevention Month. And one of the uh, young mothers talked about like how important it was for her to not identify like with that old school way. She had, of course, experienced lots of abuse in her youth. So it was mostly like providing like a, a loving home. But she emphasized that it's still like she considers herself a soft parent. She doesn't use the word no and things like that. But that structure, um, that open communication is paramount. Ultimately, like has been like her way of making sure that her child is still growing up with respect and and, like care and kindness. Yes. Things like that. So I I totally appreciate that. That's like the way that you guys operate everything because like. The yeah. young parents who, who are raising their kids now after being raised by like people like my parents and then people like me right. because I, yes. I'm 33 and I've you know I have friends that have like lots of young kids and now they're yeah. like young having kids they have a complete it's completely different <laughs> yeah right but it makes a world of a difference when you have a um, like a parent who needs to like do their own counseling or be a part of the the process with a young person, how do you talk to them about that without them getting offended? And do you find that people often get offended or are just kind of like hesitant to agree? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, they I think that they'd be offended. Um but what we try to do is that I'm very, very big on empathy and being understanding. And so what our approach is always towards caregivers is to be in a in a very compassionate, empathetic, and understanding way. Mm. Always. I feel like we want them to feel that we understand that situation and their frustrations. But at the same time, we're trying to improve the situation and we're trying to improve the parent-child conflict relationship. We want to eliminate that. So that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that it takes two to make it work. All parties have to participate. And that means being accountable on your end. As much as you want your child to be accountable for their actions, you have to be accountable for yours as well. Mm-hmm. So when we come at them that way, we're never coming at them like an attacking way. Even if they will say something wrong in front of us, we, we don't attack them. We'll just be like, like, for example, when I was a case manager, if they did something, I'd be like, well, you see how you said that? If you would have said it in a different way, she could have received it a little bit better. Your point would have still became across like you wanted it. But just like a, an adult can feel disrespected by a kid, a kid can feel disrespected mm-hmm. by an adult. So it goes both ways. And sometimes it could be, you know, if a parent had this same communication style with their parent, they don't see it. 
they don't see the trauma that comes behind it. So when we open their eyes, they just be like, oh, you know, I never thought of it like that. Or I do see a difference, especially from that very first family counseling session towards the very last family counseling session. And if they do visits in between and they see that behavior change, that communication change within a child, it makes them wonder like, okay, what are y'all doing differently than what I'm doing at home? And it kind of motivates them to be like, okay, maybe I really do need to listen. That's and then we'll be there for them. Yeah. Um, how often would you say, well, do you have any like major success stories or maybe major failures since uh, you started in 2020 that have really influenced that approach? Because it sounds to me like you're an empath. Obviously, you're an empath. But you're also, I am. <laughs> you're also totally taking a trauma-informed approach to talking to adults about the ways that they need to be involved. So do you have any major success stories or failures to share about that? Oh, let's see. Yes, I can say I do. Um, but what I can say, I'm happy to report that we have had way more successes than failures. So our approach is very effective. And just like you saying, um, being empathetic shows that that, that person um, is being understood as far as what are you going through, what you and your child is going through. And as us being a unit team, we will all get through this together. Like you're not alone doing this by yourself. And when they realize that we actually implement what our program goals really are, they feel more confident, trusting, and willing to participate, especially when they see the difference in the child's behavior. And then as far as the failures, some family issues cannot get resolved within a 21-day period because with the basis in a program, our grant only covers a child for 21 days. But depending on the situation, that it will go longer than that. Um, but within our standard average time is 21 days. So if it's really, really, really bad and it can't get resolved within 21 days, what we would do is that we were, we would encourage them to continue their counseling with our counselor on staff. We always enforce that it's free. <laughs> like you don't have to pay for it. It's free. All you have to do is just set up an appointment. And I promise you, we will be there. And or if we feel like it's like beyond her scope and she they might have to go to a FFT program or MST program or something like that. We would just refer them out to another community resource that may can help them uh, resolve the issues within their home. So. The successes. Even the ones that were reluctant at the beginning to not participate into counseling services when they did they were very very appreciative they was really proud of themselves too actually <laughs> because they had never done it before and you know the stigma with therapists is kind of like oh well i don't want to go to therapy because i'm telling my business to the stranger and i don't want everybody in my business and they can't help me because they haven't walked that's the stigma of mental health and therapy, which is a completely different conversation. <laughs> I mean, but, also people who are like, I'm grown and I know myself. Like, that's I don't right. need someone to tell me who I am. Exactly. <laughs> but when you, but, you know, I always use this, um, this slogan of putting a mirror in someone else's face, let them see themselves. And a lot of times, the number one way to do that is like in role playing. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the techniques that we use in counseling. And it's like when they see it, 
And because when you're in a situation and you react to certain actions, you don't really realize what you look like from the outside. But then when you see yourself, it's kind of like, oh, my God, I that's exactly what I did. That's what I look like. Oh, I, I might need to change it about myself. Yeah. And then they kind of start implementing them and make them have a wider range of thoughts and actions and being like, hey, I really need to change this. And then they actually would implement what we teach in the sessions and then they'll be able to apply it at home. I love that. It's like, I love that analogy. It's like seeing yourself dancing on a video at the club for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, you thought you were Beyonce. But... Yes. <laughs> but you look like somebody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. I have just a few more questions and then I will okay. go. So I first want to know, you guys I know have been a participant in National Runway Prevention Month in the past. Are yes. you guys planning anything for 2023? Yes, we are actually. So, um, so we are planning several um, national events for the month. So for the National Resource Day on November the 2nd, we plan to post the meaning of National Runaway Prevention Month and how we are partnering with 1-800-RUNAWAY. We plan on bringing awareness of how 1-800-RUNAWAY can be utilized in our community and that our basic center program um, and the shelter is the point of contact for a safe place and runaway adolescents in our area. And then for Education Week, um, November the 6th through the 10th, we plan on posting heavily on social media, shining awareness of the statistics of runaways and the possible reasons of why an adolescent's would run away from home in the air in our area and how they can receive assistance and remain safe in our basis in a program. Mm -hmm. Wear a green day for November the 16th will encourage the community to wear green and post their pictures in a fun way. That is also the day of our Light the Night event, which is an event that we host every year to bring awareness to the community about National Runaway Prevention Month. We would normally have like a candlelight visual at the local civic center to shed light on the plight of runaway and homeless youth. And they have like a fountain outside and they have like the poles with lights and, and they can light all that up green. Oh, yeah. So they would normally that do that. Yes, so we normally would do that, but this year we're going to do something a little different that we're really excited about. Mm -hmm. So this year we plan on hosting it at, actually at one of the local schools that we in collaboration with uh, regarding the Youth Voices of Change. And instead of using candles, we're planning on uh, either using lanterns, lanterns and letting them free or do a balloon release. And we, was, we are really, really, really excited about that to see how things will go. And uh, we will also uh, will allow, um, so one of our things that we did last year was we took two people from our programs, one from a basic center program um, that serviced adolescents community and then one from our young adult um, program. And what they did was they shared their experience on how we impacted their lives throughout the program. So they did that, that last year. And we also had like different resources in the community to come out and put a booth up so they can also bring awareness of the things that they do in our area. We had food trucks and all that last year. Wow. So this year we plan on doing the same thing, but just doing it at a school. So it sounds like you guys are doing a lot for NRPM as usual. I like when you guys, it's so funny, like going to places like the National Safe Place Network conferences, because 
in doing NRPM, like last year we had over 200 partners. And I feel like by going to conferences this year, I've met so many people that were registered already as, as NRPM partners, which is always. Yeah, that is very amazing. And I have one last question for you. So for, I guess this question would be directed more towards like people who lead programs and perhaps also for young people. But let's say like, do you have any words of wisdom for programs that work with young people who have different caregivers that need to be a part of the process, the healing process or the correction or reunification process, whichever? Yeah, um, as far as uh, people who do similar work as myself, I would say never forget that we are the voice of children. And sometimes working with caregivers could be very difficult and challenging, especially when learning about situations regarding abuse, neglect, or something similar. But we as individuals who serve those in need cannot give in or give up because we we need to advocate and improve the lives in every which way that we possibly can. So just keep living, keep inspiring, keep being hopeful and keep changing lives. And as far as the caregivers, I would just say always remember that your actions, your words, your demeanor are always impactful towards your child. And despite of tradition or how things are currently, you should always try to resolve issues with your child in the home because that adolescent stage really is the age group to determine the rest of their lives. So however they turn out as an adolescent, that's pretty much the type of adult they're going to be. So that is the age that you need to reach your child. And sometimes that calls for you to change as well. And if it's for the betterment of your family and the betterment of your child, then you need to be willing to do so. Thank you so much, Janoris, for all of the incredible insight you provided today. This has been such an incredible conversation. I do hope we get to chat again really soon. And I also want to thank everyone for listening and tuning in today. Please take a moment to check out the description for this episode to find links to all of the things you need to know about the Christopher Youth Center. And as a reminder, it's also National Runaway Prevention Month. It's never too late to register as a partner or youth ambassador. When you sign up, you're not making any commitments, but rather you're saying that you won't stand for 4.2 million young people experiencing homelessness each year. You can learn more at one 800 runawayorg slash NRPM. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.